those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to, uh, to Mark chapter 3. And again, uh, in, in the future, in future weeks, I don't, I don't have anything from anybody this week, which is, which is fine. But in future weeks, I'd love to begin each, each message as we're all weeding through a text in the Bible. Um, so next week, we'll read through Mark 4 and Mark 5. If you have some questions or anything you noticed in there, just w- or even testimony of some kind, we'd love to, to address those at the beginning of the message. So um, we'll continue this as we'll be in the book of Mark as we head all the way up unto Easter. All right. And uh, today, a title of today's message uh, is simply multiple choice, multiple choice, son of God, out of his mind, possessed by demons or son of God. And we're going to read out of verse, uh, we're going to read out of Mark 3, verses 20. Man, that seems, maybe it's because I don't have my glasses on. I know that might be a little hard to read, but there it is, out of his mind, possessed by demons or son of God. And I'm going to read out of Mark 3, verses 20 through 34. As we get started this morning. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And so Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He says, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand and his end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. And then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Well, Lord, as we share a few thoughts before communion this morning, again, we become grateful for the privilege of opening up your word and the freedom that we have. And to now have the responsibility of not just hearing it, but applying it to our lives. So, Lord... We recognize that these moments, we could either say are sacred or can be sacred. 
because it really is a choice. This can be another moment that can pass us by or we can allow the words of truth and the living God to speak and empower us and bring about change in our life. So, Lord, this morning we want to let you be God. And let us us be the children of the living God. Your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going we're, we're to continue in this text, and I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of bit off a, a text that was, was a, b- a little bit more challenging, and hopefully just, add, I hope the, I mean, I would assume that nobody read through that, the whole text, and like, oh, I got this figured out, I understand this one, yeah, I've read this many times before, if you'd like to, to ask me, I can tell you everything that you need to know about this one. It's a, it's a bit of a strange text when Jesus starts talking about, demons and strongholds and strong man and stuff like that. It's, it's a bit of a unique passage. Um, but but the, the thing that's going on here is what, but is what I really do want to address, this idea of multiple, multiple choice. And just hearing those words, does that take you back to high school for just a minute and having to take an exam that you didn't really want to take and then it's A, B, or C and you got to guess and you've heard the statistical analysis that says go with C. Most answers, C is the most popular one. And maybe, I don't know, I'm not going to give any hints, but ABC up there might want to think about C, okay? But we'll get to that as we get through the message today, okay? So we just read three things. There's, there's two things that Jesus was accused of in this passage. And I want us to, to really present the, 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 what's going on here when, when you see, first off, him being accused of being out of his mind. Option one was out of his mind. And you guys remember, as I just read the text, who was it that accused Jesus of being out of his mind? Was it the Pharisees? Huh? I was just seeing who read it. I read it out loud. Chris said no. Who was it? It's right there. If you've got a Bible, look right. That's why you need a Bible. You need a Bible. When we go through Mark, you need a Bible in front of you, all right? We're going to be going through this series this week. I want you to have a Bible, okay? I'm going to say it one more time. Please have a Bible when we go through this series, okay? So who accused Jesus of being out of his mind? His family. What? Come on. His family accuses Jesus of being out of his mind. And what was going on in the text is that there was a crowd around him. And the crowd had become, he's trying, to have, he's trying to have a meal. You know how mom is, right? Did you eat? Have you eaten anything yet? Have you eaten yet? That's like a favorite thing to ask, right? And Jesus can't even eat. He can't even eat yet because he's got all these people around him. And he's trying to have, uh, and, and he's starting to minister to all these people. And the crowd's getting so thick, and Jesus has to minister. And so his, this is not making sense to the people who know Jesus well, who have raised him. Like, they're starting to wonder, man, this thing is really getting out of hand. Everywhere he goes, he draws a crowd. And they're, they're actually hearing about this from afar. And this message gets back that Jesus' own family is saying that he is out of his mind. You know that what Jesus was doing never really made much sense to anyone at that time? Most people liked it, but when they, thought, when they thought it out, they always had these assumptions of what he was going to do next. They always had these assumptions of why he was doing it. Because, see, minimal expectations of Jesus have always been a problem. Selfish expectations of Jesus have always been a problem. Convenience 
expectations of Jesus. God, do this for me at 5 o'clock today. That would be great, okay? And you know you've said a prayer like that before. Convenience expectations have always been a problem. And even in this context with his own family, what really the root, the core of all of this, that many of us do time and time again, is we love the idea of God being God, capital G-O-D, But so often in our own ways of thinking, we're trying to take authority back from him. And this is what we're seeing going on in this text. The people that raised him, the people that know him, trying to take this authority back. Come out here and talk to us. This thing is getting way out of hand, Jesus. Jesus didn't come like they wanted him to. In our life today, He still doesn't come like we want him to. His timing and his ways are in accordance with his will, which is why it is so important, men and women of God, that you be people that prayerfully seek the living God in accordance with his will, not yours. I mean, we we prayed that prayer in a litany, but oftentimes when we really pray it, it's really like my will be done on earth as it is, forget, wherever, right now in my house, okay? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To be men and women that seek the Lord's will in these moments. Now, what I think is so brilliant about this passage, what what we're going to notice with this idea of being out of his mind and then the next passage we're going to address is that people want to say, whenever you hear people that are not, well, maybe they're not Christians or they're skeptical, or for, for, instance, for instance, Muslims, for example, when people want to talk about Jesus, they want to attribute something positive to him because you can't say something negative. I mean, you can't say something negative about Jesus. Like even the historic Jesus, everybody's got something positive to say. Well, he was a good man. He was a prophet of God. He was humble. Do you realize all of that stuff is garbage according to to the Jewish religion, according to the law, if you don't believe he was the son of God? Because he was a blasphemer. Because what he was saying, all of this stuff that he was doing, he truly would have been out of his mind. You don't have any choice but to have a radical definition for who Jesus is. He is either the Son of God or he was out of his mind. This is one of your choices. And so it often rests on this. Who do you say Jesus is? And you must choose a radical title for Jesus. Because let's, let's don't forget, he was saying that he was God. There was a guy in a mental, in a, in a mental hospital in a, in a cell, and he continued to say, you all need to let me out of here. I am the last prophet sent from God. You must let me out of this cell. I'm the last prophet sent from God. The guy in the, in the cell next to him said, this guy is crazy. Will you please shut him up? I never sent him. Somebody got that one. But this is, this is the idea. This is what Jesus was, was, would have been saying. If you either believe he was who he says he was, Or he was out of his mind. Your choice. Now, the next piece. The next thing that they said was that he was possessed by demons. And we see this in verse 22. 
This is what the Pharisees, now this is what the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said. They said that he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now, I know there's a complicated passage in there that, um, well, let's say you do get quite a bit of um, biblical explanation and and things that people have said about this passage for years that I think is fairly valuable. Jesus kind of refers to the idea that, wait, if I'm doing this, you know, in the name of God, I mean, Satan can't be divided against himself. Like, somebody's overpowering somebody here, okay, is basically what Jesus is saying. And he gives the analogy of the strong man, the stronger man binds up, you know, the, the weaker man, the force of the day, and then is able to do things around them, okay? We see this idea of, you know, Jesus is basically saying in so many words that he is the strong man. And then there's some reference here. We see this, this, this text taken a little bit further. Similar passages in Luke and Matthew um, take this further about binding and then filling. I want to show... Um, Luke eleven twenty four through 26, if you'll put that one up there, Chris. Um, so Luke eleven twenty four through 26 says that when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and then go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. So what if you've ever read that passage and been like, what in the world is this? Moving on to the next one, okay? What's going on? This is still in the context of kind of like spiritual authority, casting out demons, things like that, okay? So one of the things that's going on that that he's explaining here is that if you don't fill, we can do a lot of things to stop doing things. We can do a lot of, we, we, we realize that the Bible, or especially the Old Testament, is full of things that we're not supposed to be doing. And there's a lot of cease and stop kind of stuff. But if we don't fill our lives with something, we are going to continue to be vulnerable um, to, well, to dark forces, okay, to the demonic, okay. Now, I know we don't like to use language like that, but this is what Jesus is saying in this metaphor, that if you don't fill your life with something something else, you're still going to be vulnerable to these things. And actually, you can cast demons out of somebody, and they could still be in a worse shape than they were before because they never filled their life with anything. And so this is kind of you know, understanding what was going on. There were other exorcists of the day, people that were able to cast things out of people, but then they would be confused because they would, these same people would come back with demons again. They'd see something miraculous happen, but then here they are again, same kind of issues in their life. And Jesus is actually offering explanation. It's not just enough to be rid of these things. You now must fill your life with something else. And obviously the, the answer is be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, if you've read this text, I wonder if anybody's figured this one out yet. Chris and I were talking about this before service. Here it is, verse 28 through 29. I hope you got your Bibles. You're going to need your Bibles this series. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. I wonder how many of you have ever heard that passage taught before. 
blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to give you my answer, okay? My answer is I don't know. If you've ever seen a preacher tell you that they know exactly what this is and exactly how you commit it and that you cannot be forgiven, then they've arrived themselves in some form of judgment, okay? Because you realize what's actually happening, what they're actually saying. It's like, brother, I don't, I mean, you've, now that you've disobeyed what I told you and is from the Spirit of God, you can come to church as much as you want to, but you ain't never getting into heaven, okay? Because <laughs> you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, it just doesn't work that way, okay? We can't put ourselves in this seat of judgment. But I do, I don't want you to leave, leave you like that. What I'm saying is that if you, if you would go and study this passage, you would see quite a few different things, okay, on it. But here is, I, I want to take you to Hebrews because I believe there's two passages in Hebrews that gives you some of the best explanation for this, and it actually falls in line with what's going on in this passage. Hey, we're, we're getting in the Word today, okay? We're learning about some deeper stuff some complicated passages. This is what happens when you teach through the Bible. You can't just ignore some things. You've got to get into some things, okay? So here's what we say in Hebrews 10, 26 through 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Great verse. Real good to read like at a wedding or something, okay? Next, next one. What's the other one there? Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So do you see a commonality in these two texts in a comparison very similar to what Jesus is saying back in our text in Mark chapter 3? There's something to be said about K-N-O-W, K-N-O-W-ing the truth, knowing the truth, experiencing it for yourself, Knowing that, in fact, God does exist, he is alive, he is real, and leading others through a pattern of deception that says otherwise. Okay? That is the best your pastor has ever come up with in understanding what Jesus is talking about here. Okay? Being intentional in leading others astray, which really can really only be attributed well to demonic forces, which is actually, he's actually addressing in this text as well. Now... But he's addressing this in the Pharisees because they're seeing him doing miracles and they're having a really hard time with it. I can't get I can't get in the mind of all the Pharisees. I mean, we have historic accounts that some of them actually became Christians. That's true. Okay, but but I can't get get in the mind of all of them if they really were just that religious that. They, there's, even if they believed what Jesus was doing, there's no way they could ever fall in a line with it because it would totally change their life. It would change everything they had been taught. It would mess with their world too much. I don't know. I, can't, I, you know. I don't have that kind of evidence to get in the head of what every Pharisee really was thinking about Jesus. So, But what we must do today when we hear a passage like this is to now make this personal for you. 
It's been a while, and I don't watch TBN anymore. TBN is still on, right? Trinity Broadcasting Network. You guys have heard this, right? <laughs> this isn't a new thing by any means. I don't even know if it's still on. I used to watch it a lot back in the late 90s, back when the world was a lot simpler, right? Now, but many of you guys have heard of a guy named Benny Hinn. And how many of you have heard of Benny Hinn? Just curious, so even half the congregation even knows what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, Benny Hinn performs, you know, miraculous, incredible miracles in a lot of his crusades. And I, and, 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 and so if you would watch one of his shows, I wonder what you would think. Because people are all over the spectrum on something like this. People watch the show and they're like, wow, look at what God is doing. Other people watch the show like, oh my gosh, this guy is a fraud. I can't believe he's taking all these people's money. And look, he does all shows all these miracles. And he says, now send me this much money. This is what I need to keep doing what I'm doing. While he flies around in his jet and continues to do all these crusades. This is, people are on both ends of this spectrum. But my point is, so, so what would you say if I told you, because that I've heard multiple accounts and I, it, it, of people who have had firsthand experiences with the Benny Hinn crusade and the miracles that he performs. What would you say if I told you that both things are true? Both things are true at the same time. That there are people who are faking this. There are people who... Somebody lays their hands on them and they just fall out like they're supposed to. And there are people who legitimately get up out of wheelchairs and walk away by the power of God. Is it possible that both worlds can exist at the same time? Yes, it is. It's what's been happening since Jesus was in the earth. And this is part of some of the skepticism that even that was existing around this time with the Pharisees. But the important thing is that they're attributing this to demonic works. And, and what we want to take a step back and realize is what is our attitude when we see someone in the name of Jesus performing something supernatural? Are we more like the disciples or are we more like the Pharisees? Come on. We've got to sit with this for a second. Because it's so, we live in a world of consistent consistent criticism we're always critical about something but see so maybe miracles aren't your thing you know but we we must be people that learn to believe god for something bigger than what we've experienced something bigger than the box that we have put him in and so maybe miracles aren't your thing but maybe you know maybe love is maybe giving sacrificial giving is maybe building someone up is but we gotta believe god for bigger things than what we've seen and begin to pray prayers that are as big as he is and not just the box that we put him in. So I know we've also been given a gift of being able to see through it when people are seeking power and manipulating. And I know oftentimes that's hard when when sometimes we see things like this and we, we see things that just seem off. It just seems like People are taking advantage of people, and you've been given that gift to be able to do that. But I'm telling you, church, when it comes to things like both things are happening at the same time. There are people that are getting healed, and there are people that are faking this thing. It has more to do with the people who are coming seeking and believing the living God that their life is going to be changed. Now, we can't just read about these things and not place ourselves in the middle of these stories. 
And so we almost must continue to ask questions is how, how do I apply this? What does this mean to me? And so finally, the last possibility, the last choice, okay, multiple choice question. Who is Jesus? A, he was out of his mind. B, he was possessed by demons. This is what the Pharisees said. Or C, he was the son of God. You have your pencil in your hand. Which one, which box are you going to check? Now, problem is that when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to our faith, it's really not just that simple. It's not just as simple as checking a box. And the problem is that that's what many people, their, their view of Christianity is. They believe something rather than live something. They believe God rather than love God with their life. And see, this didn't just come down to a simple acknowledgement because that's what we see in this text. What is it in Matthew 33 through 34 that Jesus said who his brothers and sisters were? This is we're going to get back to this text. Verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. And then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Verse 35. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. He is the Messiah. He has the answer. My acknowledgement does not do me any good. There must be application. So at this time, I want to ask our deacons to come as we begin to prepare for communion. And I want to give you a few concluding thoughts as we get ready for communion this morning. Slip up here to get out of your way here. is the Messiah. He has the answer. Our acknowledgement does not do us any good. There must be application. We must apply the truth of the gospel to our anger. We must apply the truth of the gospel to our depression. We must apply the truth of the gospel to our anxiety. We must apply the truth of the gospel to our longing for power or control. We must apply it to what we spend our time doing. And maybe even more importantly, what we spend our mind ruminating on. So we don't pass the test because we check check the right box in this moment. It's when we make the right choice with every multiple choice option that comes our way to say, I believe he is the son of God. If you are the Messiah, then I must choose this. And church, again, we're not left alone as we shared in the text before. We must, we have to choose to be filled with the spirit of God. We have to choose to be filled with God himself. These are choices that we have that aren't just choices of our acknowledgement. They are choices of our life. They are choices of our devotion. They are multiple choices where we say yes to the living God. 
each and every day. We don't get some mild, Jesus was a good man, Jesus is there for me when I need him. If he is the Messiah, this means that this is the reason we are here on this earth. And we must partake of his life. We must be filled. This time I want to encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare for communion. We share a text like this. Be reminded how we've placed other priorities of how maybe we're not allowing God to be who he said he was. He is the son of God, so that means I must. I must place him first. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love that there's this reflection, this point that we're reminded to keep coming back to this table and keep partaking of Christ. Keep being filled with the presence of God. If he is the Messiah, I don't just acknowledge him. I must be filled with him. And so now at this time, in just a few moments, I'm going to begin dismissing a rose for communion. But well, you, you have your few moments there before you're dismissed. Just a point of re- reflection. Today, may I be filled with your life, Lord. May I be filled with your love. As I accept the death of Jesus Christ, may your life sustain me and I be reminded of who I am, but more importantly, who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the living God.